I don't know. For me personally, um, happiness, it's within you. People can be rich and not happy. People can be poor and very happy. Uh, the optimism and happiness, it's inside, I think, all of us. But money definitely brings you that peace of mind. You sleep better. Yeah, I would say the same, with the exception that uh, you know, I see money as kind of a foundation. It's just a fact that you got to have in life. And uh, if you build that foundation well, uh, it's not the importance uh, or the important part of being happy. It just allows you to do all those things um, easier. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 160. Clark, what's going on? How you doing? Good. How about you? 160. I think this is, are we three years? When did we start this? The first week of November in 2017? Yeah, yeah. This is our, our third year anniversary. It's super, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tremendous where we've come from. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And we have, we just did three interviews tonight, right? So three interviews for a three year anniversary. Yeah, basically. You know, and we got a fun one with you coming up, right? Yeah, I think uh, we've had several listeners reach out and have asked, uh, you know, when we're going to do an episode. And so I have uh, decided that I'll do one and and you and I are going to record it here pretty soon and we'll be releasing it here before the end of the year at some point. Uh, They kind of detail my journey. Uh, on the yeah, Millionaires of Elk podcast, on my own podcast. I guess, can we do yeah, that? It'll be our, <laughs> our first one together, right? Live together versus yeah. being in, in separate locations. And it'll be with you. So that'll that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll no, fun. I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's 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 been a long time coming and I know we've had several listeners that have asked for it and, and we've told them that, that we would do it uh, in the future at some point. And I think that future has come upon us part of the third year anniversary. And I think just you know, the timing's right. And 2020, heck, why not? Do something fun. Yeah, I'm going to drill you with some real questions. <laughs> now Now that you feel like we know what we've asked, I'm going to say, I'm gonna, maybe I'll reach out to some of our millionaires and say, hey, what can I throw at him, right? Yeah, what yeah exactly. What curveballs that we can, we can stump Jace with? Yeah. Get some new rapid fire questions in there so you can't prepare. <laughs> answers yeah, no kidding, right? Well, we were, we were talking a little bit before the show too, just to, about some of the evolution of things that have changed and and we've had a couple interviews tonight and one was probably one of the elder millionaires we've had on on the podcast before kind of at the later stages of his career about when a lot of people in fact retire shoot to retire and you know he talked about health being so valuable and really health is his wealth and we had another on that's much younger and and kind of had that I've had it moment realization that time was so valuable to him and he was you know, a lot of that time was slipping away because he was basically working and spending so much money on, on, on things that he didn't really care about and, and racking up debt. Yeah. So the, I mean, they were both so interesting to me. These are just interviews we did tonight because they were totally different. On one hand, you had a guy who was a multimillionaire and in his late sixties. On the other hand, you got someone in his mid thirties who was at, I think, 575. So you had somebody who was on their way, someone who's passed the millionaire status and is, and they both came to the same realization. The The older one told a story about his dad getting in a bad car accident 
I believe, right? And becoming paralyzed mm-hmm. from the neck from the neck down. And he said, that's when I realized that this is health over wealth, right? I had all this money. I had this wealth. I had a, a nice house. I had this and that. And this, this is him speaking about his dad. And at any moment, I would give that all up to have my health back. And so I, I that just struck me hearing that story. I mean, look, we hear a lot of stories, right? A lot of amazing stories on the show and a lot of unique perspectives. But that story struck me. And then right after that, we spoke to this gentleman who's at 575. He's a nurse. He's in his mid-30s. He has a little bit more of a flexible schedule. And he said, I'm starting to value the same thing. I'm starting to see I want to be with my kids growing up. I want to see what they're doing. I want to take them to hockey practice. And so it's just a theme, I think, that we're starting to notice more and more regularly. This is what people value. They want the time. They want the flexibility. And part of it is enjoying it along the way. We've talked about that. But a lot of these millionaires, too, are are wondering how they can enjoy it further. And that reminds me of the Dalai Lama when he was asked what surprises him most about humanity. And he said, man. Because he sacrifices his health in order to make money, then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die, and then he dies having never really lived. And I think we saw that the example of both those both those people tonight, very much different ends of the spectrum, wealth-wise, age-wise, and, and a bunch else, but definitely come into that realization that the, that the Dalai Lama says. Anyway, so last week we had Tom. He's 39 years old, grew up a family of 13 kids. In fact, he was the oldest of 13. He now lives overseas. He has eight children, and he talks about saving and investing under those parameters, which is super interesting, how to navigate building wealth while raising several children. He's current net worth of over $800,000, which includes two rental properties and about $200,000 in retirement accounts. On today's show, we have Rena and Justin. They have a net worth of $1.35 million. He is an active duty military member. 80% of his wealth is invested in real estate, primarily single family homes and some townhomes, and about 15% in retirement accounts invested in the stock market. We appreciate you tuning in week after week to the podcast. We'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. It continues to help us grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. Also, if you're interested in in sponsoring the show, we have a few sponsorship opportunities. Please reach out, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with Rena and Justin. Justin and Rena, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Uh, yes, uh, my active duty military. Uh, currently stationed overseas in Italy and uh, hoping to retire here in the next two and a half, three years. Yes. And hi, Jason Clark. It's so good to be on the show. Uh, we love the show. It's very inspiring. It's like continuous moving in the next door. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being here. So what is what is y'all's net worth today? We're at uh, 1.35. Wow. And how is that broken up? It's about 80% in real estate, 5% in cash, and 15% in retirement. Okay, let's dive into that a little bit. So you've got quite a bit in real estate. Is it single-family homes, multifamily? What's the makeup of the real estate? Primarily single-family homes. we got uh, three townhomes, and then the rest are uh, single-family homes. Wow. And what's what's the story behind the accumulation of all those rentals? I mean, obviously, in the military, you moved around a little bit. Are these each individual residence you used to be in? Or have you picked them up as you've moved? Or what's the story there? 
Uh, well, it's all started kind of by luck, I think, accidental. I purchased first apartment when I was 23 years old with my mother. It was an opportunity. It was beat up old uh, apartment that we purchased for 55000 in 2005 and uh, sold it in 2013 for 210000 which what? gave us all that cash to go and uh, cash buy a few townhomes. And you lived in that initial one, though? No, we we bought those uh, townhomes, and we purchased our first uh, house that we lived in, single-family home, with a VA loan. Okay. And then uh, from there, uh, as we had those first couple rentals, and then we PCS'd the first time, we put that single-family home on the market as well for rent, bought our house up in Washington, and uh, then from there, it was just PCS moves. We bought and moved and so on and so forth until we accumulated. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. So, Rena, that first home that you bought for 55000 that you ended up selling, was that something that you, that your condo or whatever, is that something that you lived in, though, for the time being? No, not really. Um, it was a very small apartment that we uh, renovated completely, including, like, windows, doors, floors, everything, and rented it out. So, it was distressed when you purchased it initially, then? It was absolutely distressed. Okay, so you got a screaming deal, fifty-five grand. Ended up putting in how much money into it before you you rented it out? Uh, about fifteen thousand. Oh, okay. So you're in it seventy thousand dollars, and then you turned around and started renting it, and that's what really started the snowball. Essentially, got you the 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 leverage to be able to then turn the, the profit of that sale into some townhomes, and then you continued to Three accumulate. Townhomes. Wow, that's right. Yes. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. So, um, because the numbers add up so well, uh, two years later, I purchased another apartment, but that was hundred sixty-five thousand with a thirty percent down and uh, leverage the rest. Okay, makes sense. So, as you were starting this journey and accumulating these properties, was it your goal to become a landlord and and now an overseas landlord? No. I don't think so. 23, I wasn't thinking about it. We just had some cash saved. And uh, that was the sounded, you know, the numbers made the sense. But after purchasing the second one, because I grew up in a country that's so small, the prices just keep on going up mm-hmm. continuously. It made sense. At least I didn't know what to do with the cash that I was saving. You know, just keeping it in the bank didn't didn't make much sense as uh, real estate just keep uh, going up in prices. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Let's let's actually shift gears here because you mentioned you have five percent in cash. Why do you have five percent? How have you arrived at that being the the amount that to hold in cash? I'm assuming that's in savings, or is that just sitting on the sidelines ready for the next deal? It's uh, sitting on the sidelines. Uh, Waiting either for a real estate deal or um, market to drop down. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. And the the amount that you have in retirement accounts is that invested in in equities or bonds? How is that broken up? Uh, it's all in equities. We're boring investors. We're all in index funds, uh, small cap, large cap, and tech mutual fund. And is that mati- military retirement IRA or what's what's the breakup there? Uh, we have it all in the Roth. Uh, IRAs and his TSP. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've uh, turned my TSP since we're stationed overseas. We get a pretty good uh, cost of living allowance or anywhere. So I've turned my TSP up and I'm 
putting 3000 a month into that, uh, maxing that out every year. And then we have two more Roth accounts, one for each of us that we max out. Wow, good good for you guys. And just for our listeners, Rena and Justin are, are married. Right? Rena grew up or was born in Russia, rather, Justin in the U.S. If you guys are comfortable sharing, how did you guys meet? Uh, he was stationed in Asia. I was traveling in Asia. And uh, for the five days that I was visiting the country, we've met and I think uh, fall in love, but, you know, wasn't expecting much out of a relationship. We both were after the serious relationships. Exchanged numbers and wanted to see where it goes. And here we are, three kids later. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Congratulations. And obviously, congrats on your, your success. So how many times, I know you mentioned before the show, and, and you guys can share if you want, but I know the rentals, you have eight rentals, right? Three townhomes, you said, five single families right. in two different locations in the U.S. How many times have you moved uh, for the military for work? And, and is the location of those rentals because of that? Is that where you, where you lived? I assume so. Uh, yes, correct. I actually didn't start uh, accumulating uh, the, the properties that we lived in um, until later on in our in my career. Uh, the first part, I spent a lot of it overseas, so I couldn't buy anything. Um, but yes, when we lived in Florida, we bought the one single family home that we lived in. Then we bought the other townhomes on the side. Uh, we moved to Washington. We purchased our single family home there, uh, lived in that. And then she came across a good deal while I was on deployment, and uh, it was just a couple houses down the street. So uh, she put everything together. I came home, and she told me we have to pack everything up and move into that house <laughs> because uh, it was going to save us on our interest rate. So we did, and then I went back out to see a few weeks later and uh, didn't really get to spend much time in that house. But uh, that's how we got our two in Washington. Somewhere, I think, prior to that was when she came across two houses in Florida through our property manager down there. And uh, told me that she wanted to pick those up. So we did that. Yeah. So it's kind of been not just PCS moves putting us uh, into a new house, but uh, a little bit of luck as well. Coming across the right deal. Keeping our eyes open all the time. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's I think one piece of the luck is is looking for the opportunities and then being willing to do it. Right. Absolutely. When the opportunity comes. So what's the what's the price? I know you mentioned one of them was about one hundred and sixty five thousand. But. Is that about the ballpark on these? I, I know, Rena, you mentioned that the earlier ones were maybe a little less, but how much are you purchasing each of these for about? I think in Florida, the single family homes were between 165 and 220. The Washington definitely priced differently. It was 250 and 330. The last property that we bought very accidentally, uh, we purchased it for 335. It was 2018. Right now, it's appraised for 410. Wow! Wow! Good. Yes, Washington definitely. And and how much you can break this out either by property or, or just in totality? How much does it do these all cash flow each month? And if so, how much? Yes, out of eight properties, we have five paid off and only three mortgages, and one of which is going to be paid off by 2027. So we're almost there. Cash flow is around 5,500 a month. Wow, five paid off. How much in total equity is that? How much in total equity? Well, the value of the, the three townhomes are about one ten each. Uh, so we got three thirty in the townhomes, two twenty in the. We're sitting at about. I mean, you said eighty percent, so yeah, seven or eight hundred yeah. or nine hundred or something in in equity, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah out of uh, one point three million, I think uh, it should be around 
between seven to eight hundred thousand yeah. of uh, paid off properties. Wow. Yeah, I don't think we've Jason. We I don't think I think you guys are the first ones we've had on the show that have had five completely paid for rentals. Is that right, Jace? Yeah, the only other one I can think of is actually another military member who lives in in Korea, and he has what twenty. I think he had over the years oh, okay. that he accumulated. Rich with uh, Alabama, right? Yeah, yeah. He's the only you one know, I can I think of. I heard the first time in the bigger pockets, and I uh, looked in in Montgomery, Alabama. The house is just so. I don't want to be putting too much into um, fixing uh, and fixing up and the roof, and I, you know, other than that, uh, yeah, I, I, I like to know the area, and we yeah. have great management uh, companies, especially in Florida, that we trust them. Trust the two properties in Florida without even seeing them. Wow. The yes, the management company went, took a look, said. Yep, good uh, condition. We can rent it for this much. And that's how we agreed on the deal. Wow. Yeah. I want, get, made sense. I want to get into that because of the, you know, managing overseas, obviously. I think some people would think that's complicated. But just back to your cash flow. So you said about 5500 a month total cash flow, right? That's right. So you're close to, what is that? 56000 right? Or 66000 rather. About 60 something thousand. Yeah. yeah. 62. I mean, that's amazing. Good for you guys. And, and is the plan to just keep paying off those other three and then just live off the cash flow from all of these rentals? Yes. Since one will be paid off by 2027, we're now even trying to do extra payments on those, on that one. Uh, the other two, yes, we want to do the extra principal payment, but not too much. It's low enough interest. It's a cheap money to borrow. We don't want to be paying it off too quickly. Um, but we definitely want to spread our income, you know, um, want to have paid off real estate. Uh, he has his uh, military pension. There's investments that uh, right now the dividends are reinvested because we don't need them, but it's there for future diversification, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and Justin, how much will the military pension be? Um, at minimum, I, I, we just kind of use the 2,500 a month uh, mark. It's going to be a little hard to say with you know, the final process, uh, 23 years will put me at about 47% because I did choose what a lot of people frown upon, which was a redux program where the military removes 10% of my retirement pay, but they give me, uh, we had about 18,000, I think, once the taxes were taken out. I forget what the number was um, exactly, but they give me a lump sum, remove 10% from my retirement and we did that knowing that we were going to stick that lump sum into investments and we did the math with the interest rate and it should pan out a little bit better that way. So uh, we're looking at, yeah, $2,500 a month, possibly a little more. Wow. So let's call it 30000 And if you're if you're 66, I mean, you guys could have 100000 a year in, in cash flow, let's call it, right? In retirement. Yeah. And that was the goal, I think. Yeah. You said that um, was the goal? That was, was the goal. Where from- you said we want to get to 100 Yes, I think it was a, at the beginning. It was a like crazy dream, having maybe ten properties with a thousand dollar because ten thousand it's a very good amount you can live comfortably. Yeah, yeah, totally. Wow, good for you guys. That's that's fantastic. So, do you think you'll buy more, or is eight is eight where it stops? I think uh, as I retire, we find out where we're going to live. I'm a fixer. I like to fix things up, whether it be houses or cars or whatever. So I would like to get into maybe flipping a few, um, using our knowledge of rental and all that stuff uh, to play if, you know, 
find some some beat down houses, flip them around and either rent them or sell them if the numbers are right. Maybe make a little bit of money that way. Maybe end up keeping a few more. Yeah, yeah. I think we're too young to slow down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do you do you guys ever have interest or I mean, some of the some of the real estate investors rather that we interview on the podcast are pretty highly leveraged. Right. So do you ever think, hey, maybe I should go put a mortgage on some of these and then go buy more houses? Or is it just a total peace of mind to have it totally paid off and cash flowing and no worries? No, I think crashes and opportunities will come. It's a cycles. We'd like to be paid off as much as we can and then just uh, rather gather the cash, you know, every year or every two years and buy property. Yeah, I like the certainty of uh, not being over leveraged. Um, I don't really agree with that concept too well. You sleep yeah. better. Yeah. 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 No, I think we're, we're going to release probably Chris Hogan's uh, episode here on uh, this week. We're recording this mid-July, mid to end of July just for our listeners. But he's he we kind of pushed they, him on that and said, hey, how does... <laughs> How is somebody supposed to invest in real estate all cash, right? If you're just trying to get started. Anyway, so we, we talk about that. But I assume you had a mortgage on all of these at one point? Uh, no, not we have on not. four of them, no. Yeah, we, we used, uh, when she sold her first couple apartments, um, we used those to buy the townhomes. And uh, then we had put away some of that money that we were bringing in and uh, we were able to pick up the other two single family homes in cash. They were a little bit lower when we bought them as well. And uh, they needed some renovation. So we got a good deal on those. And The idea of buying multifamily is in the back of our head. And for the deal like that, we definitely, of course, we're going to leverage. And uh, I think it's much easier to do that when you have a cash flow like that. When you have paid off properties that cash flow, when you have a military pay and, you know, other incomes coming in, it's not as scary to be leveraged. But at the beginning, it could be a trap. Right. So let's, let's come back to management. I know we mentioned it a little bit, but you have uh, two management companies, I assume, right? One for each location. Correct. And, and they've obviously been good or you would have found somebody else. But any issues with them or are you stuck with both companies the whole time? Yeah, we've stayed with the same two. I would say we were, you know, a little nervous at first, of course, with the first one, but, uh, we did our interviews and, you know, checked in everything before we stuck with anybody. And she turned out to be a great property manager down in Florida. And she is, we, we don't question anything that goes on with her. She has everything broke out for us every month. And then, uh, Washington state uh, has been the same way. He's been good. So, uh, but we had, we, we had a really good idea of what we were getting into already when we talked to him. So we kind of, Laid the groundwork pretty well, and uh, it went well. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, to what she sends you every month. What do they send you every month? Yeah, it's it's been a little different uh, between the two, but nonetheless, it's it's a an income spreadsheet. You know, it shows everything that's coming in from all the properties, and then um, it'll show, of course, their cost coming out, and and maybe any repairs or anything like that will show up on there. And then it'll have our total at the end, you know, what we're going to end up expecting into our account. So, mm -hmm. And then do you have to give the okay on any repairs or repairs above a certain cost threshold? Or do they just handle all of that without running it by you? How does that work? Uh, they, they mentioned pretty much everything to us. The, yeah, I, I think the only things they really ask about is, is uh, you know, something like a refrigerator or stove appliances. Uh, but if it was a plumbing issue or some kind of minor they just do it. They let us know that this happened and that it's already handled uh, what the cost was. So it's a little bit of both. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So I want to go back. Rena, you mentioned, we talked about, or Jace asked about, right, having some cash on the sideline. And you mentioned it's saving it for either an opportunity or when the market goes down. So right. were you guys buyers in end of March and beginning of April when, when the markets, I, th- I believe the low, at least as of now, was March 23rd. March 23rd, yes. Yeah. We <laughs> scraped every pennies in the savings account. I think we took our chances and put our uh, emergency fund, all the cash that we had. And on his part, he increased the TSP. contribution in the TSP just for that month uh, rather than, you know, it's usually... Pr- he we prorated and he knows how much he wants to put in every month. But for that month, because everything was so low, he just increased to a I think sixty percent of his paycheck, which he max whatever oh, wow. he let us do. Yes. And and that was mostly what, index funds or single stocks or what did you buy? Uh, we're not uh, playing with the single stocks yet. We're index fund uh, VTSAX, then small cap and tech. So you've built up this great net worth, Rena and Justin, and you mentioned a little bit about that goal of maybe getting to a six-figure passive income stream. Is there anything else out there as you've gone on this journey that has has become a goal or or something to strive for? I think we have our FI number in the next 10, 12 years. It's like step-by-step goals. You know, first it was the million we got there. Now it's the bigger number that... uh, you get to the point where you know you bulletproof, you know, with that 4%, with three kids, you can travel the world and be good. What is that FI number for y'all, if you don't mind me asking? 12 million. What was that, 12? <laughs> yes. She's smiling at me because I'm not as ambitious as her. But <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's happy with where we're at. She, yes. 12 million is what she says. I know we could purchase our final home and make life uh, perfectly happy and fine where we're at now. And, and we would naturally just grow anyways because of how we are. But I think we'll, we'll strive for 12 if that's what she wants. Mm, I'm Jewish. <laughs> it's in my blood. I cannot help myself. But, um, so how did, how did you arrive at 12? Doing the math backwards, I guess. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. We are happy and happiness does not require any amount of income because I know when we had uh, nothing and we were very happy, it's something inside of you and we have it. We are very comfortable, but um, to be able to take your kids around the world, just to let them see what we saw, or, you know, if you have uh, your own shop to close it and just take three months, six months and uh, be able to leave something and then have a purpose, do contribute, you know, back, give it back. I think money is the tool rather than destination and you can do a lot of good with a lot of money. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, teach the kids what, what we're learning now in our, you know, thirties. Yeah, that was my next question. How how are you teaching your kids about what y'all have learned and, and the approach that y'all are taking? I think we're modest in our everyday. Yeah, I I don't know that we're giving them any direct lessons as of yet. Uh, our oldest daughter's eight, so uh Rena has given her uh, allowances for doing things and whatnot. But I think as of right now, what we've done is just the way we uh, carry ourselves with money. You know, we, we don't drive a, a car that we could probably drive uh, having our income. We don't um, live outside of our means uh, or even up to them. So uh, that's, I think, our initial contribution to them. Uh, as they get a little older, it'll be uh, mom teaching them her investment ideas. 
I think uh, she, first of all, my nine-year-old, the oldest, she knows the names of the podcast. She already knows the guys by their voices because she's always in the backseat and she knows the words investing. And uh, to her, when she asked me about it, I explained it's pretty much like uh, from a cartoon. You know, you bury your money, uh, your savings, and then the tree grows with the money on the tree. She knows I'm being just to put in ideas, you know, she has having fun with it. She knows what credit card, because there were times when we would go to the store and for little ones, for every yes, they get about five no's, you know, five times we're going to go to the store and they're not going to get that kinder egg. And for six times, it's a yes. And my oldest would ask, why not? We have credit card. So there was a talk on the way back home that credit card, it's, it's like a knife. It's a great tool. It can damage you or it can help you, right? Depends how you use it. Totally. So um, they get so, their lessons. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So getting to that to that 12 million mark, is that something that you want to hit in your 40s, 50s, 60s? When's the time frame for that? I think this is uh, towards our retire early age, which in my head is around 50, 55. Uh, we have about 15 years or more. That's when you could stop working if you want. But right now, I know a lot of uh, financial independence, a lot of people excited about retire early. I think we're passionate about certain things we like to do and uh, not ready to retire yet. So 12 million would be the end number when we would uh, probably stop uh, uh, putting it all in equities. We'll go 60, 40, you know, how everybody playing it safe and just slow down. Yeah. Do you plan to continue to accumulate rental properties as part of getting to that 12 million? I think so. My my yeah, big dream always was uh, maybe build or purchase a multifamily. Rena Rena does and Justin doesn't, right? <laughs> oh. No, well, yeah, I just um I'm okay with doing some renovations and whatnot. Uh she is as she mentioned, she's got this dream of um you know, let's say an apartment complex or you know, a larger building with uh many units. I don't know how many we would go, but uh and I'm with her on that. I just, uh, I think part of our baby steps would be the renovation type of stuff until we have enough. I would not want to leverage myself too far, even, even for something that great or grand. Yeah, totally. I must say that he, um, surprised me big time. Uh, he renovated completely two, uh, of the properties that we have in Washington. Uh, floors, electrical, plumbing. He just added the sink, added the light features and everything else. That's when, uh, uh, you know, in my eyes, I was like, ka-ching. Um, <laughs> he did a great job renovating that I think would love uh, doing some flips uh, once he retires. Well, that's awesome. I want to switch gears here just a little bit, Justin, and, and ask you about a career in the military. I think you're probably, I don't know, Clark, maybe our second, third, or fourth that's been on still active duty uh, in the military and I think for some of our listeners, it's surprising how many millionaires we have that have been involved in the military. Can you just speak to having a career in the military a little bit and maybe some of the benefits that go along with, with that that maybe people aren't as aware of? Absolutely. <clears throat> well, what we've already kind of hit on was the opportunity to pack up and move. And the military pays for us to move and they give us BAH. And, and the way we see that is uh, Uncle Sam is going to pay for our house. And then when, when he picks us up and moves us somewhere else, we're going to ask somebody else to pay for our house. So, you know, we ask said bank to loan us money and, and we never put our money back into that bank. So the military gives us that opportunity. Um, I don't 
think sailors or you know um, anybody in the military should try to stay in one place very long, see the world and, and buy houses everywhere you go, type of thing. Uh, they also give us the you know TSP aspect, which uh, you can get that in any federal job, but the on the military side we have that you can put. Uh, as of right now, 19500 a year in there. So that's a huge benefit when it comes to uh, an IRA. Do you recommend it, Justin? I sure do. I, I do. Um, I think it, I definitely think it gives our young people a uh, different perspective on life that not everything is for free. I don't know. There's a lot of, a lot of young people out there that are, that uh, are seemingly, they think that, that things in life are just given to them, colleges and whatnot. Got to got to work for that stuff, and yep. uh, the military gives you that concept. I think. Yeah, good point. Good point. Totally agree with you. So, just before we wrap up and get to some of our our rapid fire questions, I just want to ask you. We spoke a little bit before we started recording about how you guys both grew up, right, and and some of the backgrounds and how you worked from a young age, and then from there. So, as much as you're you're comfortable sharing, maybe tell us a little bit about both of your backgrounds and and how that shaped who you are today. Well, I grew up in the country that doesn't exist today, the USSR, um, where, you know, we didn't have a lot. I think saving for emergency was the, in every house, every family grew up with it. Mindset, working, saving, retirement funds was something built in from my grandma. I grew up in single family home, so just with me and my mom. We, I started working very early, around 15, and uh, worked most of my life until uh, we decided to have children. I think that mentality of not having much but um, needing to work a little harder, that's something that helped, motivated us, you know, to to do a little better, give a little more. And then, yeah, for me, it's uh, there's a lot of similarities to that. I grew up in a, also in a single-family home. Both my parents... Worked very hard, 12 plus hours every day. All they knew was saving, paying off their debts. They didn't have any investments. It uh, wasn't part of what we grew up around. Um, and for us, uh, my, my older brother and my younger brother, we were taught to work hard and save your money. So we started, as uh, Rena said, we started early as well. Uh, I think I was 12 when I started to tasseling corn and didn't have a whole lot around me to sway me any other way except for what mom and dad taught me so once i joined the navy and started getting my own uh ideas that's when things started changing for us yeah thanks for sharing and 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 also remarkable that you know you both don't have a college degree right and here you are millionaires and you'll be multi-millionaires for sure so we appreciate you sharing and justin obviously thanks for your service absolutely i appreciate it i love doing it um, so just to close up here with some rapid fire questions, what's the most expensive car you guys have ever purchased? <laughs> That's a funny because he just bought a car in December. <laughs> Once we got to Italy, he got the car he's been dreaming about for, for a while now. <laughs> $30,000 car and it's 25 years old. It's the Nissan Skyline GTR. So when, when, when you Ooh. went overseas, did you just, did you just sell everything? Did you sell all the cars? No. Um, Actually, my my truck that I've had since I was uh, yeah I was probably 24 years old. Uh, my first time coming back to the U.S. from being overseas, I bought a uh, 99 Chevy K1500. It's my baby, and <laughs> I've had it since. Uh, I paid ten thousand for it up front, and then uh, I've done some things and made it mine. But uh, yeah, I still have that storage back there. 
And we brought our family car over here to Italy with us. Uh, it's a 2010 Chevy Traverse, and it's... Uh, yeah, I should have answered. On my side, my cars were between 1000 the cheapest, to uh, now the most expensive with 20000 <laughs> Yeah. Okay. We, we, we'd like to keep our cars, though, until we... Uh, drive it to the ground. Yeah, drove it to the ground. Yeah. Um, but I am a little bit of an enthusiast, uh, a car enthusiast, so... Um, just, just a tad with a Nissan Skyline, right? <laughs> yeah. But remember, it is an older model. It's an R33. It's you know not the new fancy stuff. I, I like fixing things. I don't want the, I don't want to go out and buy the brand new Corvette or GTR as much as they're awesome. And I would love to drive one and and enjoy it. Um, I would take it if it was free. But I, I like to work on them and, and make them my own. So what about a uh, most expensive meal? Most expensive meal out that you guys have personally paid for? I think when we got married in Japan, we did not have wedding. So that's kind of um, on the other side of it. I think we paid about eleven or twelve hundred for. We invited few people to the restaurant and paid for the food and drinks. Yeah. Okay. If you're comfortable sharing, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Uh, I want to say it was 2018 or 19 when we crossed that. You know, market did thirty thousand, thirty uh, percent right that year. Wow. So that's pretty amazing. You guys are already up another 300 grand or so just in yes. the last year and a half. Wow. Yes. Okay. We talked about predicted retirement stuff. Have you guys ever used a financial advisor? No, we do it ourselves. Okay. Uh, that's one of the advice I would give people. Um, you have to educate yourself on the finance subject because no one will take care of your money like you would. Um, and we come across it every single day, whether it's credit card, mortgage, car loan, or anything else. So do it yourself. It's Yeah, great. Uh, how, how much do you spend a year annual household spending? I think it's uh, between, uh, including mortgage or without? Without. Let's just say living expenses, maybe? Uh, between thirty and 40000 Okay, so you guys are pretty frugal then, I, but I guess you do have the military stipends, right, to cover some things? Correct. Yes. Okay, uh, any books or websites or podcasts you recommend that have been influential for you? Simple Path to Wealth was the first one, uh, pretty awesome. Secrets of Millionaire Minds, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yes, that oh was the, the classic. And then, of course, The Millionaire Next Door, which brings everything so into perspective. Podcasts, yeah. it's a money guy show. I love their d- data and everything. Stocking Benjamins, they're very entertaining. You guys, definitely. Yeah, so so just last couple questions here in closing. What does it mean to be happy and fulfilled for you guys? And has the money of becoming a millionaire and growing your net worth, has, has that brought money and fulfillment? Or what does money and fulfillment mean to you? I don't know. For me personally, um, happiness, it's within you. People can be rich and not happy. People can be poor and very happy. Uh, the optimism and happiness, it's inside, I think, all of us. But money definitely brings you that peace of mind. You sleep better. You know your kids have that, you know, going to have a... Yeah, you have a sense of security. Right? Sense of security, exactly. Yes, yeah. the tranquility that, yes... Yeah, I would say the same, with the exception that uh, I see money as kind of a foundation. It's just a fact that you got to have in life. And uh, if you build that foundation well, uh, it's not the importance uh, or the important part of being happy. It just allows you to do all those things um, easier. easier that, you know, 
spend the time with the family, go do things with the family and not worry about it. So, but the happiness is definitely comes from the family time and the, you know, doing things that you love to do uh, more than anything. So it's a little bit of a split. I think money definitely uh, lets you on your life, on your time, just like Ricky Robbins was saying in the book. And it's great to have that uh, time to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Really good answer. And just last question here in closing, are there any mistakes you've made that you would advise other people against or are there are there things you're glad you did or any final words of advice? I think uh, it's not really a big mistake, but I kind of regret not starting IRAs a little earlier uh, when we first heard about it. We contemplated and, and just thought about it too long. For the younger listeners, I would definitely recommend learn about compound interest. Um, it is eighth wonder of the world. Uh, if you start early and invest regularly, continuously, it will pay off. For older listeners, um, don't buy too big of a house than you need. Don't buy new cars, probably. It's a waste. And definitely don't spend money just to turn heads. I mean, yeah. keeping up with Jonas's, you know, and impressing people you never see again, it's not worth it. Yeah, good advice. There's that quote, right? Spending, I can't remember, I'm going to butcher it, right? But spending money to impress people you don't know or who you'll never see again, right? Something like that. Exactly. Correct. Oh. All right. Well, well, thank you so much, both of you, Rena and Justin, net worth of over 1.3 million, eight rentals and, and growing, living overseas. Justin works in the military. So thank you guys so much. I know it's a little bit late for you there. So thanks for coming on the show and making time. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.